Welcome back to The Horse Race. I am not Steve Cazella or Jennifer Smith. My name is Libby Gormley. I produce the show. And today I'm bringing you somewhat of a bonus episode of The Horse Race. As most of you probably know from our countless shameless plugs, we are hosting a live podcast at Suffolk Downs on June 9th. And as you also may have heard, this is the racetrack's final season ever. Um, So in planning this event, Steve, Jen, and I all got really interested in the history of the racetrack as well as the future of what's to replace it. So I talked to some people involved with the racetrack as well as others involved in the development that will be built in its wake. And this is what I learned. It's Derby Day at Suffolk Downs. Spectators gather in a clubhouse overlooking the racetrack. Their eyes are glued not to the track, but to TVs mounted from above, simulcasting from Kentucky. You wouldn't know it from the electric energy in the room, but this isn't even the main event. Not the headliner that resulted in that controversial disqualification of the stallion maximum security, but a preliminary race run hours prior. Still, it's thrilling. That's Jessica Paquette, the vice president of marketing for Suffolk Downs. There's that old saying that a horse is the only animal that can take a million people for a ride at once, and it's, it's so true. Paquette started here as an intern, a college student studying racing at the University of Arizona. More than a decade later, she's still here. This place, this big facility has been the great love of my life for I mean, 13 years that I've worked here since the first day I walked across the catwalk to go into the press box, and it's a huge catwalk, I'll show you. And it felt like I was coming home, and it's been home every day since then. This particular season holds more weight than any other Paquette has been a part of. After 84 years of operation, this will be the last season of live racing at Suffolk Downs. In 2017, the racetrack was sold for $155 million to the HYM Investment Group, who will develop the more than 160-acre plot. The final races are just weeks away. I'm kind of taking these weekends, and even what our last weekend's going to be in June, as a time to celebrate the history of this place. And we're going to do a good job, and we're going to go out with our heads held high, and then I'll go home and cry my eyes out. But when we're here, we're going to do a good job and celebrate all the greatness that has come through here. Some of that greatness is on display. Yeah, isn't this the creepiest and most awesome place? (laughs) Paquette shows me to a huge empty hall, Frames hang from the rafters, boasting iconic names in racing history. So these banners are all of the horses that have won our big race. There's Seabiscuit, who people know from the movie, who's one of the most famous horses of all time. Whirl Away, he won the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown. Uh, Wakoit, this is one of the best races. The stretch call that Jim Hannon, our announcer, made, it was a ding-dong battle to the wire. It's the most famous stretch call in New England racing. It's awesome. And, I mean, you go kind of further down... Uh, cigars, uh, their cigar, cigar. It was one of the greatest horses of the 90s. Uh, so this is a track that really some of the best horses in the history of horse racing have come through, either started here or come back to. It's yeah. neat. You can't walk through here and not feel the history. This track is where Seabiscuit was discovered by trainer Tom Smith in 1936. It's where the Beatles played to 25,000 screaming fans in 1966. But the popularity and profitability of the track has declined in recent decades. Horse racing does need to modernize to fit with the, to fit with the times. What do you mean I, by that? Um, I think people have a shorter attention span, and you go to the racetrack, and sometimes 
you know, there are 25 minutes between races and people kind of closer in our age group, they want more instant gratification and they can find the races to be a little slow at times with the action only being for a minute and a half and then kind of sandwiched by long times of waiting. But this is uh, actually a struggle that horse racing on a national level is having kind of marketing and bringing in a younger group. Horse racing has a reputation as a haven for shady characters and under the table deals and for having a general disregard toward the athletes that the sport depends on, the horses. But Paquette says she's proud of the work Suffolk Downs has done for horse welfare, namely being the first track in the country to institute a no-slaughter policy. It ensures that no horse that raced here could be sold to slaughter. That started a really important conversation I think that the industry has had to have about taking care of our athletes when they're done racing. The closing of the track, while heartbreaking for Paquette and its dedicated patrons, for others represents an opportunity to utilize that land and build a neighborhood from the ground up. Tom O'Brien is the managing director at the HYM Investment Group, the site's developer. So it will be what we call a mixed-use community. Um, at the end of the day, there will be you know, thousands of people who can live there. There will be thousands of people who go to work there every day, all connected to you know, the regional MBTA system with two Blue Line stations. So we're really excited about it, and we think it's a really great ch chance to transform this um, you know, kind of failed racetrack into something that can be really vibrant and great for Boston. The plans include 5 million square feet of office space, 500,000 square feet of retail space for restaurants, shops, and hotels, 40 acres of publicly accessible open space, and 10,000 units of housing. 1,000 of those units will be designated affordable. So this is a more affordable housing than anybody's ever built um, in Greater Boston ever on any project, uh, and we want to build all those units on site. That's a really important thing for us. The plan to dedicate 1,000 units out of 10,000 as affordable does fall in line with Boston's inclusionary development policy, which mandates that 13% of housing developments be affordable. That's because 3,000 of those units would be built in Revere where this policy doesn't apply. The housing that would be built here exceeds 10% of Mayor Martin Walsh's goal for Boston to create 69,000 new units of housing by 2030. District 1 City Councilor Lydia Edwards has been outspoken in urging developers not to waste this opportunity. We do need housing. We need affordable housing. We need, um, you know, our city is growing. The fact that we have an opportunity to build another neighborhood is something that excites me. But according to Edwards, the designated affordable housing that's been proposed doesn't meet the needs of the existing community. The units are deemed affordable by Boston standards. They're affordable to households who earn up to 70% of the area median income of Boston at large, around $75,000 a year. The average individual income for an East Boston resident is around $38,000. And it looks like a majority are at the high end of the 70%. And so what that means for a lot of folks in East Boston is, yeah, that affordable is, is, is laughably out of reach. Plus, Edward says... The average family size in East Boston is 2.6, but the average family size the developers are planning for is 1.58. Uh, I think they're putting in a lot more rental and temporary housing, than, um, which is not a problem, but if it's rental and temporary really for one person or two people um, and not families, then we're not actually going to be helping the family housing crisis that we're in. Um, we're just going to be assuring that a, a whole new population of young folks that have the income to afford to be in that place will be there. Edwards would like to see 20% affordable housing on site, but O'Brien says it's just not possible financially. You know, the, the math is what it is. You know, the, the, it costs 
uh, approximately uh, $500,000 uh, per unit to build these these units. So just on the basis of that, that's the basic cost to, to build these units, it's really hard to create affordable housing. And uh, so from our perspective, we want to do everything we possibly can to create as many affordable units as we can, but the math is really hard to make, make work on these things. So that's our, that's our challenge. Since purchasing the site in 2017, the HYM Investment Group has engaged in over 350 community meetings and received comments from the public. We'll do more. If people want to do more meetings, we'll do more meetings. Um, but I think, you know, as we said, after two years of process, uh, I think generally people want to see us, you know, start to move on and, and get the shovels, shovels in the ground, which is what we're doing. The permitting process for the Revere portion is complete. But Edwards says there's still much more to be done before she'll lend her support for the plans in East Boston. And that without taking the necessary steps, the Suffolk Down site could end up like the seaport in South Boston, notoriously lacking in affordability, diversity, and any real sense of community. She believes the plans for the Suffolk Downs development lack basic neighborhood staples. Folks asked about the housing for folks who are, you know, homeless, uh, asked about if there's an opportunity for a recovery home. Uh, one person said, uh, whoever's coming there better not have any kids, better not... Uh, get sick either. There's no hospital, no clinic, and I guess they don't really need to mail anything. There's no post office. I mean, these are things that you would think are, uh, or, or, and don't need the police or fire because they're not also planned to be there at all. So these are all of these neighborhood indicators of gathering spaces of moments that really show that you're building something that is um, integrated, and they're not there. The comment period is set to conclude on May 31st. The developers will receive those comments and adjust their plans as they see fit. Then, the Boston Planning and Development Agency Board will vote to approve the plan, disapprove it, or approve it with conditions. It's possible that the comment period may be extended for a couple more months. And even after a vote, there's still a transportation master plan, affordable housing plan, and jobs plan to review. It'll be a while before big changes hit East Boston. And for Jessica Paquette at Suffolk Downs, the development feels even further away. What she's thinking about now is making the most of these last few weekends at the track. She leads me up the stairs of the clubhouse and onto the rooftop, where you can look at the entire track from above. Come the final race day, this is her spot. Yeah, so this is where this is where I will be. Tell me about that last race. Are you dreading it? Are you looking no, forward to no, it? No, it's it is what it is. Like there's no there's no stopping it. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna say. That's the I'll have to do the commentary before it. Oh, wow. So I haven't figured out what I want my last kind of to be. Um, but I, we're all professionals. We've, again, like when, it, when all is said and done, we know what we're doing. Um, I, I think we'll do a good, I think we'll do a good job. And I just want to do this place justice at the end. She told me she'll be watching the race from up here, away from the crowds, just her and TD, the announcer. And for one final time, she'll watch her favorite sport on top of the place that, for the last 12 years, has been her home.